I'll read verse number 32. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. Let's pray. Our Father, this, this evening I pray your blessings. I believe this is the sermon that you want me to preach. I believe this is the hour that it is to be preached. And I pray that you'll be magnified and glorified throughout the entire sermon. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Several weeks back, I started a journey at our church, at Bible Baptist Church in Ghent, New York, in the Acts of the Apostles. Initially, the reason I started this journey through the Acts of the Apostles was that I wanted to experience revival. Revival that you read about in the Acts of the Apostles in particular. Not only did I want to experience revival, but I wanted to experience an awakening that I read about from the 1700s and the 1800s and in the book of Acts. Third, I wanted to read the book of Acts and go through the book of Acts as a church because I wanted to leave my mark for this generation. And so what I wanted to do was, my purpose was to find out what the pattern was. What was the pattern that made the church at Jerusalem so successful? Later, what was the pattern that made the church at Antioch so successful? What I discovered so far in my study, it's not about the pattern. The problem is we can fall in love with the pattern. The pattern's kind of fun. It's exciting, really. Ministry, that's pattern. Preaching, speaking in tongues, thousands being saved. Imagine 3,000 souls being added to the church in one day. And then right after that, 5,000 people are saved. The healings and the wonders that were done by the apostles. This book is a dynamic book filled with a lot of really exciting things. It's not the pattern that I was in the end, it's not the pattern that I was after. It's the condition that allow the patterns to have biblical success. I was telling Brother Danny earlier today, when I went to basic training in June of 1987, I wanted to be a soldier. But after three or four days of basic training, I still wanted to be a soldier. I just didn't want to go through the training. I think that's how it is for a lot of us. We want the blessings. We just don't want to do what's required. On Wednesday nights, we're going through the book of Malachi, Malachi Bible Baptist. It's interesting because the Jews, particularly the priests, but the Jews as a whole, questioned whether or not God loved them, right? The reason they questioned whether or not God loved them was because they were in poverty. They were still surrounded by their enemies. They lacked the influence they once did back in the days of David and Solomon, and they were still under the, the control of another state, the Medes and the Persians. So they, with all of that happening, they said, God, you don't love us. The issue wasn't what they were experiencing. The issue was their sin. See, their sin caused their poverty. Their sin caused them to be surrounded by their enemies. Their sin caused them to have no influence. And their sin caused them to be under the oppression of another state. What they wanted was both sides of the fence. They wanted the blessings of God, but they didn't want to do what God said in order to secure those blessings. 
And that's what a lot of our churches want. We want the blessings of God. We want the blessings of Acts of the Apostles that we read about. But we don't want to go through the process. And so, yes, God did save 3,000 souls in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 3, it mentions 5,000 men. Now, the Greek behind that word speaks of 5,000 gender men were saved, not counting the women that were saved. So this church grew from 120 to thousands upon thousands. And that's what we want. But early in this book, even to Acts chapter 4, notice some conditions that this church lived through in order for the pattern to be biblically successful. See, I'm not looking for success this evening. I'm looking for biblical success. First, the pattern, that, the condition that produced the, the, that allowed the pattern to succeed was, one pattern, they were of one accord. Now that phrase, one accord, means they shared the same passion. Now the Acts of the Apostles gives four reasons. Luke's, Luke gives four areas in which they shared the same passion. They shared the same passion in church business. They shared the same passion in evangelism. They shared the same passion in discipleship. And they shared the same passion in prayer. We read of all of these things within the first four chapters. And as I preach this to Bible Baptists, I would say it to you. How much do you share the same passion with one another and this church? The second thing that you read about is how they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They're filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Peter and John were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 3. The church was filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 4. The reason that's so important is it testifies that there were times when they weren't filled with the Holy Spirit. When they became self-reliant, even if it's to the smallest degree possible. And I challenged our church, and I challenge you, do you realize how important it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God in order to have any ministry succeed in a biblical way? To be filled with the Holy Spirit of God means that you're not leaning upon yourself. You're not influencing the outcome. It means emptying of yourself and being completely dependent upon God for the answers, for the results, for the means, and for the ends. See, we say it up here, right? But where the rubber meets the road or the cheese meets the elbow macaroni, there's a big disconnect. We wonder why our churches aren't experiencing revival. Well, it's because our churches are too individualized. The third condition that allowed this church at Jerusalem and later the church at Antioch to, Antioch to have success is that they were under church authority. Today, people don't want to be under the authority of anyone else. They want to go to a church where there is no authority. And yet you see it in the church of Jerusalem, authority, authority, authority. You see it in the church at Antioch, authority, authority, authority. Even the great apostle Paul under the authority of the church at Antioch would not be sent out without their blessings and each time would report back to their church. Authority. Yeah. 
we have disconnected ourselves from authority. Today, it's this generation, not just this generation, it's old people, young people, it's people who live in this generation. We don't want authority. We want the right to do whatever it is we want to do. And the result has been catastrophic. You have churches growing, but they're fool's gold growth. You know what I mean by fool's gold? It's not real. You have churches growing, but it's not based on truth. They're using the same mechanisms that that Kraft Macaroni and Cheese uses to sell their product. And so what I want from Bible Baptist Church is I want my church to share the same condition. Today, as I said, we're focused on the pattern. Ministry, 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 ministry. Instead, we should be focusing on the condition. If we have the right condition, the ministry will follow. So this evening, let's see just a few things. It is always wonderful to preach at this church. It's wonderful because no matter how long a person preaches, time just stands still. So whether I preach for 15 minutes or an hour and 15 minutes, I know based upon the authority of that clock that time has not moved. I don't plan to preach for an hour and 15 minutes. In fact, probably closer to 15 minutes. But I'm warned every time I hear a preacher say that, it's usually three hours. But if we want to affect foreign missions, local missions, and family missions, it's important that we follow the condition. It is interesting because of the three conditions that I met, they're all united under one verse. Acts chapter 2, verse number 42. In Acts chapter 2, verse number 42, we read of this young church, this church just that just added 3,000 people. We read, and they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. That phrase, continue steadfastly, means it wasn't easy. They had to persevere. They had to work. Personality clashes. Maybe prejudiceness. Maybe it was financial differences or educational differences. But what marked this church as a unique church was, regardless of the differences and how difficult it was, this church persevered through those difficulties so that they could continue steadfastly in these four areas, the Apostles' Doctrine. Truth. Seeing that this is the first of the four that Luke records, it speaks of how just, just how important this was to the overall list of four. I mentioned churches can be of one accord, but it doesn't matter if they're not following the apostles' doctrine. So for this church, what mattered more than anything else was truth. Second, it was fellowship. Now this word fellowship means to be partners in ministry. I enjoyed yesterday. I enjoyed the food. I enjoyed the macaroni and cheese. I enjoyed the wild game that I ate, and I ate some extreme wild game. Hamburger, hot dog, and pulled pork. I enjoyed it. 
But what I enjoyed more than all of that was how a handful of people came together and made it happen. It was just fun to watch. It's the fellowship. It's partnering together to make ministry effective. Third, it's breaking of bread. Whether this references the Lord's Supper or just fellowshipping around meals, but either way, it speaks of intimacy within the church. Churches are losing the, the community spirit that they should have. The biggest struggle that I have at Bible Baptist Church is the church doesn't view themselves as a community. And I believe one of the things that made this church so strong for so many years, if it's, and maybe it's still strong, is this church had a sense of community. And if this church doesn't have that sense of community, then don't be surprised if people just aren't interested in coming here. People want sense of community. doesn't matter who they are. doesn't matter how much activities the church has. People want a sense of belonging. And it isn't easy. It isn't just that you can accuse the church of saying, we're not a lack of, we're, we're a lack of community, therefore I'm leaving. Because if the church is experiencing deficiencies in this community relationship that they should have, you're partly to blame. I love the way Jesus puts this in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7. And it really should set the record straight for us, right? Before you consider what's in your brother's eye, consider what's in your eye first. And the language that Jesus used, it is, what's in your eye is bigger than what's in your brother's eye. How often do we view that our sin is bigger than the one who's sinning against us? And so when you look at churches that are, are accused of lacking community or dead even, it's, they have a problem, but not me. The way Jesus says is, fix your own life. Once you fix your life, then be part of the solution for the church that you're part of. But that would require us saying that we're a part of the problem. Now, if I ask you to raise your hand right now to say if you're part of the problem, probably all hands will go up just because I just mentioned it. But I wonder how many hearts would go up. And then in prayer. We have our guys meeting on Monday nights for prayer. I'm happy and thrilled on one hand, and I'm sad on another. I'm happy and thrilled that we do it, but I'm sad it's just four guys. We're not a big church, but we have more than four guys. It's not seeing the importance of corporate praying. And I can't make it happen any more than you can make it happen here. But you can be part of the solution by participating. And the problems the Bible Baptist Church has, I guarantee you, probably 95% of all the other churches have too. It isn't just unique to my church. 
And so it's not that I'm pointing out my church over any other church. My church has problems because I'm a member of my church. And so in these six or seven verses, notice first this church and verse number 32, this church in Acts chapter 4, verse 32, the multitude of them that believe were of one heart and of one soul. I mentioned this yesterday in the sermon, that salvation, salvation is a love transaction. It doesn't matter what the words we use, believe, repent, convert it. It's a love transaction. A love transaction that's initiated by God the Father that's responded by us. As John mentions in 1 John chapter 4, God loved, we love him because he first loved us. We have to be careful not to just make, get people to make decisions. We need to get people to the place where they love God. See, this church... Those that believed, it wasn't just the ABCs of Christianity that got them there. It's to really not understand the importance of that word believe to the audience in which it was written to. That word believe meant that they had to forsake everything else and follow Jesus. As Jesus said in John's Gospel, chapter 3, the reason people don't come to Jesus is because they love darkness and not light. Therefore, the reason people do come to Jesus is they fall in love with the light. So salvation, those who believed in Acts chapter 4, verse 32, understand that a transaction of love occurred in which God initiated it and they responded to it. So this church loved the Lord. And in loving the Lord, Luke says this church uh, at the time, possibly eight to 10,000, if not more, 15,000 people shared the same heart and soul. Think about this for a moment. <clears throat> they have the same Holy Spirit that we do, the same God that we do, <clears throat> the same mission that we do. We have more of God's Word than they do. If they can share the same heart and soul, can't we get there? We're not in the thousands, we're in the tens. What does it mean to share the same heart and soul? It means that you're thinking about one another through the week. And as you think about one another through the week, your affections grow for one another. Let's be honest. Um, I'll confess. You don't have to. I'll confess. Sometimes the problem isn't that I don't think about people in the church every day. The problem is I don't think positively about people in the church every day. So instead of my affection growing, my displeasure grows. I've, I'm learning in ministry to focus on what they do good. And think about that. Not that you can't handle their sin, but focus on what they do good. And then think about that. Pray how God can use what they do good for his glory within the church. And then as you think about this, and you think about them, now you're praying for them, your affections will grow for them. That's what it means to have one heart and one soul. It's easy to complain. 
I mentioned this yesterday, but I have a PhD in complaining. I audited all the classes. They didn't have to take one. I clucked them, not audited, clucked them. I clucked all. They're like, you're so good at it, you don't even have to take a class. Just walk down the aisle, it's yours. It's hard to share the same heart and soul when you're too busy complaining. So how does a church get to the place where they share the same heart and the same soul? That's really the question. The nice thing is, is we get it from the Bible, the answer. Whether we're in 2 Chronicles 30, verse 12, or Jeremiah 32, verse 39, God is the one who enables us to share the same heart and soul. However, God enables us to share the same heart and soul because we have a disposition of humbleness. How many of you know who Augur was? I'm not a big Proverbs reader, right? It's, I'm not a wisdom guy or poetry guy. I'm not smart enough. I have to stick with Acts. I really need the Holy Spirit to help me with Proverbs, right? But in August, August the 30th, I decided to read Proverbs 30, right? And it was Augur, this guy named Augur, who viewed himself that I'm this, the stupidest person out there. I don't know wisdom. I can't learn wisdom. I don't even know that much about God. And poetry form, that's really saying, I haven't arrived yet. I'm still absolutely dependent upon God. I am needy, and without him, I can do nothing. But he goes on to write the secret to his success. The secret to his success, if I could say it right. <clears throat> Danny just got me talking so much this afternoon. I'm all talked out. <laughs> I might have to have Sister Sam's come up here and sign language for me. <clears throat> Where was I? Augur. Augur, what made Augur's success so powerful was he viewed God's word as pure words. He viewed God's words as the only source that a person needs. But it wasn't just what he viewed as important. It was how he viewed himself. He prays. And in this prayer, he says, Father, don't let these things, allow these things to happen before I die. And in this prayer, he wants two things to happen. The first is, he says, that I want vanity and sin to flee from me. I thought that was powerful. We're all vain people. But I can't ever recall me praying, God, I'm vain. Remove vanity from me. He didn't want to think too highly of himself. He knew he had the tendency to do so. He knew his weakness, or else he wouldn't have prayed that prayer request. So he prayed, Father, please, God, please, remove this vanity from me. Then he says, Lord, don't make me too rich or don't make me too poor. He says, don't make me too rich because then I'll be self-reliant. Don't make me too poor because then I have to steal and I'll blaspheme your name. His point was just, 
allow me to be satisfied with daily needs. As I read that, my mind immediately connected with what Paul wrote to Timothy. Godliness with contentment is great gain. That was Augur's success. He just wanted godliness with whatever contentment God was satisfied with giving him. And that's the reason he was able to achieve much. You can't get there unless you're humble. I'll be completely honest with you. What I struggle with most in Paul's writing is that verse. I struggle with contentment. I'm never satisfied with what's going on in my life. Not in this humble kind of, you know, um, debasing myself. I'm never satisfied because I think I deserve more. Or I want more. See, God energizes, enables the humble spirit of a plurality of people that have different backgrounds to come together to share the same heart and the same soul. That's, again, what the point is, right? It's we want the pattern, but are we willing to go through what's necessary for the pattern to succeed in a biblical way? My daughters, Lord willing, will be finishing school this year. Uh, Not school, high school. They want the diploma. They just wish they didn't have to finish their senior year to get it. It's not unique to them, right? I was there. And maybe some of you were there. The second thing to see in Acts chapter 4, and we see it in verse 32, is they had a corporate commitment to one another. Again, let's read. And the multitude of them that believe were of one heart and one soul, neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. They had a corporate consciousness about them. They were concerned with the church. You know, using today's terminology, terminology, it's not my house, it's not my car, it's not my furniture, it's God's. And however God wants to use this, even if it means selling it for the betterment of the church, this is what I'm going to do. Keep in mind, it wasn't that they would sell and then live in abject poverty. It was items that maybe superfluous, they didn't need, extra, whatever. But we would keep those things because they're investments. This church sold those things so the church at Jerusalem could prosper. They had this corporate consciousness about one another. They thought about one another. Uh, The following letter that I'm about to read speaks of of how we lack this corporate consciousness. This was written to a congregation. It says, our church membership is 1,400. Non-resident members are 75. Balance left to do the work, 1,325. Elderly who've done their share, 25. Balance left to do the work, 1,300. Sick and shut-ins, 25. Balance left to do the work, 1,275. Members who do not give, 350. Christmas and Easter members, 300. 
balanced to do the work, whatever the number is, members who are overworked, 300. Balanced left to do the work, 325. Members with alibis, I love those members, 200. Members too busy with other things, 123. Balanced left to do the work, two. Just you and me, the letter says, and friend, you had better get busy because it's too much for me. But that's a sad testimony for many of our churches. It's not about the number of people the church has. It's about the number of people that are engaged in the church. When you read 1 Corinthians, you understand When one member of the body hurts, the entire body hurts. It's corporate consciousness. Brother Danny mentioned Mark Estes this morning. We should be hurting for Mary. Because our hurt for Mary will cause us to pray more for Mary and Mark. I am pathetic because what goes in one ear goes out the other ear almost as quickly as it came in the ear. And someone will mention a prayer request on Sunday morning and I'll forget to pray until Tuesday. I'm not hurting. I need to. It's having this corporate consciousness. You can't know when someone's hurting and if God will use what you have to help them if you don't know they're hurting to begin with because you're disconnected from the church. Not in your attendance, but emotionally. This church was a selfless church in relationship to the church family. Let's see one more thing this evening. Great grace. Look what verse 33 says. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There's a chronological order, right? They're united. They're together. They're sharing the same heart and soul. There's this corporate consciousness about them. God blesses their leaders and their witness for Jesus Christ, which is what they wanted. Just a scene or two before this, the Sanhedrin is telling Peter and John, keep in mind the Sanhedrin, who they were. The Sanhedrin would be the Supreme Court for Israel. And the Supreme Court for Israel ruled that it was unconstitutional for anyone to preach or teach in the name of Jesus. So they go back to their church, they're praying, oddly enough, for boldness so they can continue to preach and teach in the name of Jesus. And so in verse 33, you see an answer to their prayer. They're continuing this witnessing of preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus, even though it's unconstitutional for anyone in Israel to preach or teach in this name. But it doesn't just happen. See, it isn't about coming out on Tuesdays. That's what the world thinks. 
it isn't just about how many doors you knock on or how many people do you tell about Jesus. It's about do you share the same heart and soul? Do you have a corporate consciousness about yourself? It's about are you using this corporate praying to be a better witness for Jesus Christ? I have to admit, we don't have a Sunday school. We don't have a Sunday school because I don't have enough people faithful to teach Sunday school. I have plenty of people who come on Sunday mornings. But there's this great departure from Sunday morning to Sunday night. And from Sunday night to Wednesday night. And I got to the place in my ministry where it's unproductive to have someone teach Sunday school who isn't faithful to the house of God. I can't answer for other pastors and their churches. I can only answer for me and my church. It's better not to have ministry if I don't have people committed to the work than to have ministry for the sake of having ministry just so that we have ministry because, well, this is what we've always done for the last 120 years. I'm not looking for ministry. I'm looking for the conditions so that ministry can succeed. And after sharing the same heart and soul, after having this corporate consciousness about themselves, and after having a great witness on behalf of Jesus Christ, God says that he gave not just the apostles, but the entire church great grace. What enables ministry to succeed is the grace of God. I think most of us here, I know most of you, we've served the Lord together for, for some of us for decades. And I think we can all be honest with one another to say that there have been times in our own lives where we did ministry without God's grace anywhere near us. I remember one time walking the streets with Brother Campbell. We were doing door knocking. And I remember, I, I don't know why I remember this particular evening so clearly, but I remember shaking in my shoes, not because I was afraid to talk to people, not because I was afraid to tell someone who I never knew, who I didn't know, the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it had occurred to me that I haven't spent any time with God Monday or Tuesday. I was shaking because I didn't think I had God's presence or power with me. The grace that enables God to use, or the grace that enables us to be used of God as a vessel. Great grace was upon this church. So it doesn't matter what you do. It does matter if you have great grace with you as you do it. And so verse 34 just goes on. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. If you just get out of this, the pastor, the preacher saying we need to sell some things, give to the church, you're missing the whole point, Right? The whole point was them selling some property was birth out of something greater. It's getting to that point. 
I love the way Luke closes this chapter because it gives us one example of someone who had left a mark with the church at Jerusalem. Notice verses 36 and 37. An example of what Luke just wrote is seen in the man named Joseph, who by the apostles were surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation. A Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, if you never read the book of Acts, right, but you understand historical narrative genre, you would know that Luke just didn't throw this name in there, right? That he's going to play an important role as this book continues. And if you haven't read Acts and you read Acts, you'll find out, boy, this guy did play an important role. He played an important role in that he was the one who was by Paul's side when he was Saul, when no one else wanted to be by his side. He was there when Paul went to Jerusalem. And he was there when Paul went to Tarsus to bring him to Antioch. It wasn't just Paul, it was John Mark. He was the one willing to give John Mark a second chance. kind of guy he was. Let me close with this. If right now God wrote two sentences about your life in relationship to the Wenton Place Baptist Church, because this is what we have here. Right? The last two verses about Barnabas. We learned so much about Barnabas and these two verses. So if God wrote two sentences about you and your relationship with the Witten Place Baptist Church, what would he write? Let's pray. Our Father, I pray your blessings on this sermon. I'm so thankful for the opportunity that you've given me to pastor one of your churches in Ghent, New York. And I pray, Father, that you will bless me there, bless the church family there. I also pray for the church in Ravina, New York, for the same thing. I pray that you'll make me a better pastor, a more effective leader. I pray that you'll do the same for Brother Holt here at Witten Place Baptist Church. And I pray that you'll draw this church closer together. Even if they are close today, I pray that you'll draw them closer together tomorrow. I pray that they will share the same heart and soul. That is, that they'll think about one another through the week, and as they think about one another, their affections will grow. For one another. Thank you for the opportunity that you've given me to preach this evening. I pray that I did no injustice, injustice to your word. And I do pray that you were magnified through the preaching. In Jesus' name, amen. Brother Holt.